Uh, the reading is taken from Luke 10, and it'll be verses 1 to 9, which you will find on the Church Bibles in 1041, or if, like me, I've unfortunately found any, the large print is, and glasses, is 1663. Jesus sends out the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. It's lovely to see you. I'm so glad you came this morning. Do you know, this is called Low Sunday, the Anglican Church. I wonder why Mike had invited me on Low Sunday. But it's nice to see there's a good crowd here. Um, well, I'm interested that the APCM might be someone's favorite night of the year. It is a good night, isn't it, if you're casting vision as a church? That's a good thing to hear. It's a good night to hear what God has done in the past and what you're going to you're going to see him do in the future. And, and uh, in a sense, that's what, that's, that's what I want to speak about today. Nothing to do with your APCM, because that'll be your vision, but a little bit of what we're seeing God do. Um, so I'm uh, just to introduce myself. I'm, my name's Mark. I'm married to Lindsay. Uh, we've got five children and one son-in-law, and um, uh, we uh, live in Ealing. We've been there forever because we love it. Um, actually, and um, I have a passion for classic cars, so I've got a 40-year-old MG, and um, I've shared that passion in my church, and uh, now we have eight other men in the church who have classic cars, and I have eight other women in the church who don't like me anymore because <laughs> their husbands have classic cars, and uh, every Father's Day I do a little show, we do a little show outside the church, it's always great fun. I invite everybody from the community who's got a classic car, and uh, we do a free barbecue, and uh, it's just, just one of those fun things to do, you know, just it's a really great fun thing to do as the community, and um, it's the one Sunday that I know I'm supposed to be the vicar, but I, I stay outside telling everybody I have to look after the cars, just in case anything happens to them, it's a very important job. Last, last year I borrowed somebody's Mark II Jag, They're, it's worth about 50,000 pounds, I went to see him. British racing green, I'd seen it in the street. I went to see this guy and uh, I said to him, uh, lovely car, you don't know me, I'm, I, I'm from the local church, we're doing this little classic car show. I gave him my card and uh, I said, I wonder if you come and show your car, because it's such a beauty. 
And he said, yeah, he said, I'd love to. What date? I saw him the date. He said, oh, I'm away that weekend. I said, oh, that's terrible news. I was rather relying on this being one of the centerpieces. I've got five other Jags, and yours was the Mark II that I was rather relying on. He said, oh, dear. He said, I don't know what I can do about that. I said, well, you could go away by train. <laughs> I'd never met him before that day. He said, I suppose I could do. I said, that's so kind of you. <laughs> I said, would you, mind, would you mind lending me the car? I said, the thing is, you'd have to get it to me on the Friday, but I would look after it. He said, OK, I'll do that. I walked away from that conversation thinking, I can't believe he's just said he'd do that. So on the Friday, I took his phone, and on the Friday, I turned up at his work without a car. And uh, I said, I, I just turned up to pick up your car. And his PA said, I can't believe he's doing this. I said, neither can I. I can't believe he's doing this either. She said, does he actually know you? I said, no, he's got no idea who I am at all. She said, oh, well, he's left you the keys. So anyway, so I drove away with his car. It was rather quite fun. So I turned up at church, and then I borrowed somebody else's car. We don't just do classic cars. I got a mate, he's got a BMW i8. It's one of those ones where the doors open up that way, you know. It's just, oh, they're so nice. Anyway, I phoned him up, I said, Gary, could I borrow your i8? He said, yeah, sure. So I said, great, so I went and borrowed his i8. I took it home, I said to Lynn's, my wife Lindsay, that on the Saturday, because I picked it up on the Thursday, I said to her on the Saturday, I said, we'll go out for the day. We won't take the Jag, I'm very nervous of that. But I know Gary. And it's only worth 110,000 pounds, so we can take that one. And when I opened the door to let her in, the door went up sideways. She took one like it and she said, I am not getting in that shit. <laughs> it's far too flashy. So, okay. So this year I've borrowed his Aston Martin, so I'll see if I can get her out in that one. Uh, generally in, uh, in life, why was I telling you that? I was telling you that because last night I had one of my favorite nights of the year. That's why I was telling you that. One of my favorite. This is the thing. Yesterday was my birthday. And for my birthday, this is what I do. I always say to my family, because presents are always an issue, aren't they? They're like, what do we buy dad? That's the thing. So I say, the answer is this. What I want you to buy me is you get to me on that day. So you have to come home. Wherever you are, you come home. My son in Canada will excuse him. But everybody else, they all came home. And I said, I get to take you out for dinner. So we do a whole family out for dinner. That's my birthday treat. I pay. That's what we do. We drink nice wine. I don't drive. Someone else will drive. We drink nice wine and have a nice meal out. And we went last night and we, we got to the restaurant early. We spent the whole evening there till late, till they were kicking us out at the end of the evening. It's one of those lovely evenings where everybody's in a good mood. Hey, because Dad's paying, so you don't have to worry about it. That's the thing. And actually, we're celebrating my birthday, which is great fun. And I love it because we don't get a cake because I'm not really keen on the old cake stuff, unless it's a fruitcake, and that's what we like, but they don't do fruitcakes for birthdays. Generally in life, generally in life, we like to know what we're called to do, don't we? Isn't that true? And the worst thing in life is being asked to do something and not really know what you're doing when you're doing it. Does anybody ever feel like that? I, I used to work in marketing, and we did these marketing campaigns, and where I'd go to these companies, I'd do a presentation, I was quite good at presentations, <laughs> and they'd say, yeah, we'll get you to do it, and I'd come home, and I'd say to the office, say, we're doing this stuff, we're doing it, we did, if you had a few customers, I'd say, we're doing this, and uh, they go, great, what are we going to do? I go, I've got no idea. I've got no, I just sold the concept, <laughs> now we need to work out how we're actually going to do what I've said we're going to do. And they'd say, Mark, that is a problem. But here's, here's a letter to an insurance company from a bricklayer, I don't know if you've heard this, 
He says, Dear Sir, I'm writing in response to your request concerning clarification of the information I supplied in section 11 on the insurance form which you asked for cause of injury. I answered, trying to do the job alone. I trust the following explanation will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade, and on the date of injury, I was working alone, laying bricks around the top of a three-story house. When I finished the job, I had 500 pounds of brick left over. Rather than carry them all down by hand, I decided to put them in a barrel and lure them by pulley that was fastened to the top of the building. I secured the end of the rope at ground level, went back up to the top of the building, loaded the bricks into the barrel and pushed it over the side. I then went down to the ground and untied the rope, holding it securely to ensure a slow descent. As you will note from section six of the insurance form, I weigh 145 pounds. <laughs> at the shock of being jerked off the ground so swiftly by the 500 pounds of bricks, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Between the second and the third floor, I met the barrel. This accounts is for the bruises and lacerations on my upper body. Unfortunately, I retained enough presence of mind to maintain my tight grip on the rope and proceeded rapidly up the side of the building, not stopping until my right hand got jammed in the pulley. This accounts for my broken thumb. See section four of the claim form. Despite the pain, I continue to hold on to the rope. Unfortunately, at approximately the same time, the barrel hit the ground. The bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel now weighed 50 pounds. I refer you again to section six, where my, list is weight, my, my weight is listed, and I began a rapid descent. In the vicinity of the second floor, I met the barrel coming up. This explains the injuries to my back legs and lower body. Slowed only slightly, I continued my descent landing on the pile of bricks. Fortunately, my back was only sprained, but I'm sorry to report, however, at this point, I lost my presence of mind and let go of the rope. <laughs> I trust this answers your concerns. I'm, please note, I finished trying to do the job alone. Often, often in the Christian world, it's like we feel as though we're, we've got to do everything on our own. It's got to come out of who we are, out of our, our, our ability, our strength, our, our hard work at trying to see others come into the kingdom of God. I've been for a bike ride a few weeks ago. It was Saturday morning. It tends to be what I do on a Saturday morning. and uh, I've been on this bike ride. I came home from the bike ride. We'd done about 50 miles. Got home about 11 o'clock in the morning. I was absolutely wiped. We'd gone quite fast. I'd been riding alongside the South Africans. They ride far too fast. They're far too energetic. But anyway, I was trying to keep up with them. And, and I, we were, I got back home. I was exhausted. I walked through the door as my wife was coming out of the door. And she said, Darling, you're home in time to do prayer on the streets. And I said, Hun, I just need a shower and a cup of tea, and some Weetabix, preferably. And she said, uh, okay, I'll see you in a minute then, and walked out the door and closed the door. And I thought, hmm, that probably means I should go to prayer on the streets, doesn't it? Being the person, you know, who I'm the vicar. So we, I had my shower, and I proceeded up to do prayer on the streets. So I got there, my colleague Chris was doing prayer on the streets. Chris is wonderful, I love him to bits. And I said to him, I said, Chris, I'm here, shall I go and get the coffee? 
Because you know what it's like when you do prayer on the streets? Do you do prayer on the streets? It's like, and people come along and you think, I've got to go, I've got to go and offer prayer now. And it's in the street. And it's like everybody's watching. So I thought, I'll go get a coffee first, just for the sort of, you know, boost of courage. And uh, he said, no, no, no need to get coffee, Mark. I heard you were coming. I've already got them in for you. So I thought, oh, blow. This, this, this means I'll actually have to do some prayer. So I, I went over to see Lynn's, and I said, darling, uh, I'm here. We'll, we'll do some praying. And she said, um, she said great. Um, uh, let's just stand together. We'll pray for a little bit, and we'll see what happens, and then we'll go out on the street. We were actually on the street, but we'll go out and see people. So, okay, so we prayed together. And then this lady came over, and um, she, said, uh, she said, I wonder if you pray for me. So I said, sure, that's great, because that means I don't have to go onto the street, as it were, you know. I mean, we were on the street, but we didn't. And uh, I said, sure, we'd love to pray for you. So I, I said, come here, and we got a little gazebo. I said, come to the gazebo. And uh, we went under the gazebo, we sat on some chairs, and I said, how can we pray for you? And what led you to come in to pray? She said, well, I was going past on a bus, and I saw you two standing there praying, and it says, prayer, in this big banner. I mean, it's a massive banner. You can't miss it. And uh, she said, I just felt I should come and get prayer. So I said, well, that's great. I said, we're Christians. We pray in the name of Jesus. You know, does that, is that okay? She said, yeah, that's fine. I'm a Muslim, so I don't pray in the name of Jesus. I said, well, if you come for prayer here, that's what we do. I was quite tired. I said, that's what we do. We just pray in the name of Jesus. It's just about Jesus here. That's all we do. We don't offer anything else. We're not like a supermarket. We just do Jesus. One brand, you know. She's like, okay. Well, I guess I heard God tell me to come for prayer, so you better pray. I said, okay, we'll pray. So she said, so we asked what she wanted prayer for. She said, I haven't slept a full night for 20 years. So every time I go to bed, I have this darkness come over me. So I said, well, that's easy. We'll pray for that. Anything else? She said, well, yes. Well, how come you've got this confidence in God? I said, well, we believe in a God who actually works. It's not just theory. It's all practice. Very pragmatic. We bring to him issues, and he sorts the issues. And doesn't always sort them in the way we want them sorted, but absolutely we can trust in a God who walks with us hand in hand every day. We don't have to do it on our own. He does it for us but we'll pray for you. She said, okay. So I said, well, let's pray. So we prayed for her. Literally, two to three minute prayer. And we prayed for the darkness to go. We prayed for spiritual, any dark forces that were on her to be lifted and to go and to set her free. This was this one. And uh, I said to her, I said, will you come back tomorrow on Sunday and let us know? Because I want to know that you slept the night. She said, okay, we'll do that. So we gave her our address. And um, I didn't realize that it would take her two full bus rides to get to our church. It took her an hour and a half to find our church, bless her. The next morning, she came to church. Lindsay and I, we sit on the front row, but like you do here, we sit on the front row, and Lindsay and I were sitting on the front row, and this lady came, and she sat down right between us. And I looked at her, and I thought, hi, who are you? I mean, I'd only met her the day before, but she was completely different. And she said, um, she said, oh, I said, hi, uh, can I help? She said, well, you told me to come. So I said, oh, yeah, you're the lady we prayed for yesterday. She said, yes. I said, oh, how was last night? 
So I'd just like to let you know, I slept from 8 o'clock last night to 8 o'clock this morning. I'm sorry I'm a bit late for church. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? The thing is this, the thing is this, it's not difficult. It's really not difficult. It's just trusting in God. Trusting in a God who acts. Trusting in a God who wants to do things. Our, our passage this morning says this, it says... The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Because the Jesus we follow isn't the Jesus who's kept in stained glass windows. It's the Jesus that we live with and live our lives through on a daily basis. This is where we are in the gospel. Jesus has been instructing his disciples. The instructions are very much as you would get in the Great Commission. He's basically saying, go and do this. Uh, there were many, many there following the, 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 the ministry of Jesus. He's been meeting people, communicating with people, telling them about the kingdom of God. And he tells them the kingdom of God's like a farmer who goes out to sow seed and some bears fruit and others don't. He tells them that it's a bit like a mustard seed, even though it seems small at first, it can come, become big. Do you know that the Christian faith from this fledgling beginning became, it has become the greatest faith movement the world has ever seen? Did you know that we've got more than a third of the world's populations of, population of followers of Jesus Christ, professors of faith in Jesus Christ? We have great reason to be confident in the things of the gospel. I was at uh, breakfast with the Bishop of London recently, just before he retired, and uh, he was very excited at breakfast, and uh, he was telling us about his latest trip to China. He, he, he said, the official figures, the official figures, Mark, are 40 million Christians. He said, but when you get there and the prayer meeting has a million Christians at it, he said, the unofficial figures are over 60 million Christians in China at the moment. It is the fastest growing movement of Christian faith in the world. The place where they try to stamp it out is the place where it continues to grow. Why? Because we can have great confidence in this. Nothing is going to stop the growth of the church. Nothing is going to stop the message of Christ going out. The harvest is plentiful. And Jesus has been communicating this. And he says, you know, he says, the thing is this, that what he wants is he wants us to be people who go and bear fruit. He says he wants to ask us to send out more workers into his field. He says, look, I remember I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money or nor, nor a traveler's bag nor an extra pair of sandals. Don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Go, he says, basically. And it's a kingdom of good news. This is what Jesus went from, he, he, he included people. Jesus brought a message of good news. He healed the sick. He included the excluded. He, 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 he brought in the rejected. He healed the hurting. The broken were raised up. The insecure were given hope. Those, those with, with troubles were given new beginnings. And this is the key thing, that wherever Jesus went, it was good news. The Christian church so often is known for what we're against, but we've got to be known for what we're for. And we're for good news. We're for people's relationships. We're for people's hope in their lives. We're for new beginnings. We'll stand by anybody and pray with them. You know, in, in any situation. 
a lovely conversation a few weeks ago with some uh, managing directors of some insurance companies in the city. One of my church wardens is a managing director of an insurance company in the city, and I went for lunch with him. And uh, he said, Mark, I want to introduce you to some friends of mine. They're joining us for lunch. I said, oh, that's great. So they came for lunch. And he gathered all these high-powered business people around the lunch table. They're all dressed very powerfully. And I was thinking, I should have worn a different shirt. <laughs> Evan, do you know that feeling? <laughs> I needed to polish my shoes. And over the table, I hear of broken relationships and concern for children and insecurity of the future and the pressures that work are putting on them. And to each one who at the beginning of the meal began with, well, I don't believe, to each one over the course of the next hour and a half, I was able to pray with every single one of them. Why? Because actually that's a human need. There's a human need that we bring good news into people's lives. And we as the church can bring good news into people's lives. It's really not complicated. That's what Jesus is about. But we can only bring good news if it's in us. And this is what's happened in Luke chapter 9. Jesus sent the 12 in Luke chapter 9 back to where he's been ministering. That's easy, isn't it? We'll go back to where you've already been doing work, Lord, because we can work there. In Luke chapter 10, he sends the 72 ahead to where he's yet to minister. That's us. That's us. Not where the physical person of Jesus has been, but where we're to go in his stead with his news, with the good news to those around us. And we're to be carriers of his presence. And when we're carriers of his presence, everything changes. The presence of God in our lives is the things that changes everything about us and everything around us. It is one of the most important things that we can get into our lives, is to be people who seek and practice the presence of God. And when we seek and practice the presence of God, we change. Sunday night, we baptized, full immersion baptism, we baptized two Muslims who'd given their lives to Jesus Christ and chosen to follow him. As they told their testimonies, we weren't able to film it because if their, if their um, families found out, um, they had fear for their lives. As they told their stories, I looked round in the church and uh, all these people with tears pouring down their cheeks. As they described, this was the church they described. They said, we came and we found a church where there was something light in everybody. Something just looked different. And it was the community that embraced us in. We come from a place of conflict and violence and darkness, of war. And we came to a place where good news was found. And I was sitting there thinking, are they describing our church? Because <laughs> we don't feel like that. But they saw Jesus within the church family. That's practicing the presence of God. It's our strap line as a church. We try to put it into place all the time. We fail so often. But as we practice the presence of God, this is what happens. Things change. We need to know his presence because we become better people. I better just look at the passage and then we'll finish. Sorry. I think this passage is quite profound. The thing, the thing that it says is this. It, it says this. He says that, the Lord now chose 72. 
He, sent, he chose though, he's chose those he sent ahead. He's chosen you. You're a chosen person. God's chosen you. He wants to dwell in you and work through you. He's chosen you so that his presence can reside in you. He's chosen you because he wants you. You are his choice. It's always lovely, isn't it, to be included? When we get an invitation, we want you. The invitation is because God wants you. He's chosen you. He's chosen you because he values you. He's chosen you because you're special. He's chosen you to be a carrier of the good news because he can trust in you. And he's chosen you to go and be a blessing to others. And we're sent, it says, in peace. As we're sent, he sent them to places. Wherever you go, enter someone's home and say, may God's peace be on you. We're sent in God's peace to bring love where there's division, to bring unity where there's difficulty, not to bring judgment. I love the story in Scripture of the woman at the well so many of the commentaries speak of that story of uh, a place that's, um, the, the woman's there at midday, you'll know the story well from John 4, she's there at midday because that's the time of the day that people don't go to the well, so she's an excluded person. She's, he says, bring your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. She says, you're right, you've had many husbands, and talks about different things, and, and, and her life is, is completely changed around. And you know what, this, what we see in this story? Is that Jesus doesn't judge her. And all the commentaries talk about this probably being a promiscuous woman. Do you know a woman in those days could be divorced for burning dinner? She may have just been a terrible cook and had five previous husbands because she couldn't do scrambled eggs on toast. You don't know. The, the span of life was really short. People died early. She could have just had a lot of them die. I don't know. She might not have been promiscuous at all. She might have just had a really difficult life. Jesus listened to her story and her life got changed. Let me, tell, let me tell you about Steve. His name's not Steve. Let me tell you about Steve. He's a heroin addict on the streets. And we picked him up in one of our ministries. And we loved him. And he came back week after week. And if I'm honest, he abused us and used us and hurt us and kicked the grace back into our face. <laughs> and he did it again and again. We're five years on now. Five years on, and Steve now has a job. Steve now has a home. He's had a home now for about six months. He lives in a little flat, and he's working full-time. He's shifting between two jobs. He's working full-time, and Steve has found new life. Why? This is why. Because someone actually kept listening to him, kept listening to him, kept listening to him. And we believe in the potential of his future. To the end, we watch him go, come off heroin, come off drugs, and find a new life. Why? Because the harvest is plentiful. And there are lots of Steves out there who need to hear the good news of God. Not judgment, but for those of us who are willing to go and allow the grace at times to be kicked back in our face, that at some point they might come to know the living Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and follow him for all that he's worth. 
The 72 were carriers of the presence of God. They went out and they said, they come back to Jesus and they say, in your name the demons flee. In your name people are healed. In your name things change. And it is in Jesus' name. And we're, sent, we're a sent people. Jesus himself was a sent person. As the Father sends me, he says, so I send you. But we don't have to do it alone. And it's about being carriers of the presence of the Spirit of God. And God's Spirit within us changes everything. And I, I know it's been a bit of a muddled talk. <laughs> but this is what I'd love to do this morning. I, I'd love to pray that you as a chosen person, God chooses you. You're special in his sight. That's why you get to call him Father. That's profound. That's profound. On my children's phones, when I phone them, it says Father. That's what they call me, Father. It's profound. Actually, my little girl calls me Papa. Papa Father. Or Father Bear, she calls me. But Father. We get to call God Father. He's our Heavenly Father. And as we get to call Him Father, we know Him within us. I'd love to pray this morning that we who are chosen, who get to, God call, get to call God Father, who are sent with the good news, will be carriers of that good news, but will only be carriers of the good news if we receive the good news, and we only receive the good news by the Spirit of God. So I'd love to pray for the Spirit of God to come upon us. I'm, now, I won't be here next week, so you can, just, you can move on. But this is, this is the thing. In my church, this is what we do. I, I'd love, I, I'm going to get you in a moment. I'm going to ask you to stand and pray for you. Just, just go with me for a few minutes, will you? And then, for those of you who, those of you who just want to go, I need this. Because where I go this week, whether it be to an office or a home or a school, or I, whether I be driving a van or rewiring somebody's house or doing somebody's plumbing, whether I be looking at accounts or I be working as a doctor, whatever I might be, that where I am, the presence of God comes and something changes in the lives of those that I meet. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. There seems there's lots of blue carpet up here and we can use this. So I want to encourage you to come forward. And, and there's something about coming forward there's something about saying yes, about being sent people. We have to go, you see. There's something about saying, well, I'll come forward in church because people think that's scary. Well, that, I think, is not scary because it's only church. I mean, everybody loves you here. And then when you go into the office, when you go into the office or when you have the opportunity at work, this week is to cross the room. Just cross the corridor. Just go to another desk. That's the little walk that might be scarier. But as you go, take the blessing and the presence of God with you. Is that okay? Can, you, can we stand together? Would you be kind enough? Jesus, thank you that you're a God who is not just about theory but about practice. Thank you that we can receive the good news of grace in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you're kind enough not to judge us for all that we've done wrong, but that your grace extends to the deepest, darkest 
areas of our own individual lives. And now, Lord, by your grace, would you come upon us? Just invite you to put a hand on your own heart, shut your eyes, pay no attention to anybody else around you, and just in the quietness of your heart, pray, come, Holy Spirit. Come, fill me today. Come, fill me, Lord. Come, fill me. Lord, would you wash away anything that would hinder my relationship with you? Would you enable me to find that voice where I might call you Father? Would you come by your Spirit, come? Would you come, Lord Jesus? Fill me. 